0: Verse number 8 of Acts chapter 19 says this, "...and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, before the congregation he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord." Verse 18, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. And verse 20, and we'll close right here, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Attack is a 1956 American war film. I've always been a, somewhat of a, a war film buff. I love the World War I and World War II movies and some of the more obscure ones that a lot of people haven't seen. And I've actually seen this particular one. But it was directed by Robert Aldrich and starred Jack Palance. A cynical and grim account of war. The film is set in the latter stages of World War II and tells of a frontline combat unit led by a cowardly captain clearly out of his depth and a tougher subordinate who threatens to do away with him. As the official trailer put it, not every gun is pointed at the enemy. As I said as I began, one of the recurring themes here in the book of Acts is that they have repeatedly been assaulted. As we've studied this account... Written by Dr. Luke, we've seen the church attacked from various forces, some from without, some from within, but they're constantly being assaulted and attacked. I believe that's still happening to churches today. It's still happening to to God's people today. We are being attacked from various outside forces, sometimes from forces within, but, but we need to be vigilant. We need to be on the lookout for these attacks. But taking it a step further, if we're going to leave a mark as a church, if we're going to have an impact as a ministry, we have to have a game plan. And it has to be a coordinated effort among our people and among various ministries, an effort to attack the enemy, to attack back. Our guns have to be pointed in the same direction. But oftentimes we're too busy pointing them at each other. Every gun's not always pointed at the enemy. If we're going to win the battle, we have to come together and fight Him. Not fight each other, not fight other churches, not fight other ministries, but realize who our enemy is, who our adversary is that Scripture talks about, and coordinate an effort to beat Him, to make a difference. In my reading this week, I came across one particular commentary that shared this story, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. It's called Assaulting the Dark Castle. During the Battle of Waterloo, England waited silently for news of the outcome. If Wellington could not defeat Napoleon, England had a frightening future. Finally, from the top of Winchester Cathedral, trained eyes read the semaphore signals, Wellington defeated Just then fog set in and no further transmission was possible. Wellington defeated was relayed throughout England. Despair reigned as people prepared for the worst. What would happen to their beloved land? But later the fog lifted and the full message was revealed. Wellington defeated the enemy. How different history would be without those two final words. And how different the church would be if through the haze of history... All we could see were the words, Paul defeated. But that is sometimes how the situation appeared until the smoke finally settled and the the message read, Paul defeated the enemy. Here in this chapter 19 of the book of Acts, Paul is now in Ephesus. Ephesus was called by some the treasure house of Asia. It was a site of the temple of Artemis or the goddess Diana. It was a place of occult practices, occult worship, fertility worship, elaborate temples ordained in gold and rare gems and a very large temple to speak of. Ephesus was a place of a lot of superstition, a lot of dark arts and magic. Perhaps it was the very reason Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, a passage of Scripture that has come up several times over the last several weeks. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. One author wrote that Ephesus was the waterhole for every kind of magician, witch, clairvoyant, criminal, He said, Con artists, murderers, perverts, all found the climate of Ephesus unusually agreeable. He said, That city was the dark castle of Asia Minor. It sounds somewhat like the world we live in today. A very difficult and wicked and evil place that surrounds us. A world in which morality is no longer heralded. A world in which sin is the norm. And biblical principles are far outside of the norm. But in the 19th chapter of Acts, we see darkness under attack as we read this passage of Scripture. And it began with, first of all this morning, aggressive teaching. It began with aggressive teaching. If you have your Bible in hand, turn back and look with me at verse 8 of Acts chapter 19 and see what it has to say. It says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyranus. Paul, as was his typical uh, custom, went into the city of Ephesus and went straight to the synagogue. And he began teaching and preaching there and, and reasoning with people, so to speak, as the Bible has used that word several times. Doing a, a question and answer format, kind of like probably what we do on Wednesday nights. Asking questions, uh, giving answers, seeking to, to, to lead them to a knowledge of who Christ was and what He could do. After three months, his time in the synagogue began to run out. As we've seen a pattern here, he goes to the synagogue, he teaches, he, he, he stirs the pot, people get angry, and he has to move on down the road. And the same thing happened here in Ephesus. So he moves to a rented hall of a man named Tyrannus. And at midday, he would teach after working all morning. And after he would teach for three or four hours, he would go back to his tent making and he would work again. Paul was a hard-working individual. He was a a strong man who took uh, pride in what he did and wanted to make sure that he was paying his own way, so to speak. Acts chapter 20 and verse 34 says, You yourselves, this is Paul speaking, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to to my necessities and to those who were with me. Paul said, "I, I worked. I take value in work. I work hard. Not only am I passionate about my teaching, but I'm passionate about my work as well. One author said that Paul paid his own way and taught five hours a day, six days a week, 52 weeks a year for two years. Listen to these numbers. 3,120 hours of lecture. This is equivalent to 130 days of lecturing continuously for 24 hours a day. Paul was a determined man who at great personal cost made a relentless assault for Christ against the fortresses of evil. He must have known that principle that was in the Old Testament book of Proverbs that idle hands can get you into trouble sometimes. And he stayed busy working as a tent maker and then going to the synagogue and teaching aggressively and telling people about Christ and then turning right back around and going back to work. He was a hard-working individual. I want you to see his character this morning. I want you to understand that that he he didn't take this thing for granted, that he took it very serious. He was passionate about his work. He was aggressive in his teaching. So we see that aggressive teaching, but continuing on we see spiritual advances taking place. Spiritual advances as he began to, to teach and preach and reason with the people in this town of Ephesus advances begin to take place. He began to see some, some doors opening up, some people's lives being changed. And we see in verse 10 that it says this, this continued for two years so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All the residents of Asia, Scripture says, heard the word of the Lord because of Paul's passion, because of, because of his aggressiveness in teaching, But it says also, continuing on in verse 11, "...and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul." Extraordinary miracles were taking place in the church. They were seeing signs and wonders taking place right in their midst. Now, continuing on, you'll see that handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were being used to to heal people and to to set people free from, from demonic oppression and possession. Now, what Paul was not doing here, he was not selling hankies... And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen those preachers on TV. Well, if you'll send me $50, I'll send you this anointed hanky. It's got a little bit of water from Jordan or whatever. And, and I'll send it to you and you'll get released and you'll get set free and you'll get $100 or whatever. Paul wasn't doing that. That's not what was taking place here in this gospel account. But others were borrowing articles that had touched him. And they had faith and believed that because of His anointing and because of His power and His passion and because of the life that He lived and how close He was to Christ, that something would rub off, that something would impact or change someone else's life. If you look at the connotations here and if you look at the the meanings in some of the original languages, it was referring to cloth that Paul literally used to wipe the sweat from his brow as he worked. Sweat rags, basically. Aprons that he wore as he was tent making, as he was working in his shop. An author by the name of Ray Steadman said that these handkerchiefs and aprons were symbols which God chose to employ in order to underscore the characteristic of the apostle, which made him a channel of the power of God. In the same way Moses' rod was a symbol, he writes... These sweatbands and trade aprons were symbols of the honest, dignified humility of heart. The servant character which manifested and released the power of God. One word there jumped out at me, that servant character. If anything describes Paul, it's that phrase, servant character. That was his very character He was first and foremost a servant to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was passionate about teaching and proclaiming Christ crucified, but he was serving others as well. He was ministering to those around him. And as he did those things, and as he lived his life for Christ, God's power was released through him. I want you to know this morning that God's power is released through a man or a woman who is committed. Committed to to the point that they're ready to labor as Paul did. Being serious about their work. Being serious about their teaching. Committed to, 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 to Christ Himself and living a life that is set apart for Him. God's power will flow through those people and impact other people's lives. Think about Christ Himself in John chapter 4. He was ministering to the Samaritan woman in that story that we see there. And Scripture tells us that Christ had sent His disciples into town to buy groceries, basically, because He wanted some time alone. He was tired. He was weary after traveling and ministering to others. He was, he was ready to just sit down and relax for a few minutes to, to steal away some moments for Himself, something that probably didn't happen very often for our Lord and Savior. And as he's sitting there at the well, he's interrupted by this Samaritan woman. And we know the story, we know the history between the Jews and the Samaritans. It would have been very easy for him to have completely written her off or cast her aside or said, not today, maybe later. But even though he was tired, even though mentally he was exhausted, he was was weary in his body, the Scriptures, basically the words that's used there, the connotation is that he plopped down. As a man would after a hard day of working. Even though he's tired, even though he's weary, he was so concerned about laboring, about ministering to others, that he shared with that woman life, and she came to know Christ as her Lord and Savior. Paul made tents, Paul pastored, Paul shepherded, Paul evangelized, Paul taught and reasoned in the synagogue, Paul planted churches. And much more, he was serious about his work. He was serious about attacking back the forces that were attacking him. The the forces that wanted to stop this ministry and stop this work from going forward. He was serious about his work. He was assaulting the darkness. He wasn't taking it lying down. He was fighting back. The church needs more muscular Christians like Paul. People who will take this thing seriously. Who will realize that we have to get to work for the kingdom of God. Sharing the gospel. Loving others in our community. Taking it to where they are. Assaulting back. We've allowed the darkness to creep into our territory for far too long. It's time we begin to, like Paul, take it back and work for our Lord and Savior. So we see first of all that the darkness was attacked by Paul, but secondly, darkness and confusion. Darkness and confusion. Look with me at the Scriptures again. Others are beginning to try to get, on, get in on this act, so to speak. Verse 13, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Exorcism was readily practiced by the Jewish people, so why not add Jesus to the mix and see if that doesn't do them any good? But now we begin to see in Scripture that when they try this, the demon simply rolls his eyes at him and laughs at him. Look at verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? He basically just laughs at them and scoffs at them and shoves them aside. They couldn't invoke Christ's name because they didn't have His power in their life. Because they didn't know Him as their Lord and and as their Master. They weren't passionate about Him as Paul was. And we see now that the evil side has been divided. And it's in confusion. Paul's beginning to conquer and see some things take place here in Ephesus. But thirdly, this morning, not only do we see darkness and confusion, we see darkness and retreat. There's a pattern here that I want you to see as we look at this. First of all, verse 17, we see that fear came upon the people. Fear came upon the people. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, this story of the sons of Sceva and and their miserable failure. All the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Fear came upon them because of what had happened. Because the, this this group of amateurs, this group of, 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 of evildoers tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They failed miserably and it brought reverence and praise to the very name of our Lord. Fear came upon the people. Secondly, we see that believers became sensitized to their sin. Look at verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. When Christ is exalted and lifted up, when Christ is magnified, when He is placed in high esteem, believers will begin to get themselves in check. They'll begin to live for Him more passionately. They'll begin to live for Him more deliberately, more purposefully. And we see that taking place here in this Gospel account. They became sensitized to their sin, to what they were doing wrong, to how they were failing, began to get themselves in check. And then finally we see that unbelievers come to a saving faith and knowledge. Look at verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. When the church seriously cleanses itself, when the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is lifted up and extolled, as it says here in Scripture, others will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They'll see the difference in our lives. They'll see, they'll see the 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 magnificence of our Lord and they'll commit their lives to Him. What would happen today if the Spirit's conviction swept through our churches? What would happen today if we really began to, so to speak, get right with the Lord? I'm not advocating legalism here. Those of you who know me well know that that's not something that I advocate at all. I'm not saying we have to live by set rules of don't do this and don't go here and don't wear that. And That's not what I'm talking about. I think that the church throughout the years has placed some undue burdens And some undue regulations on people that many times were even extra biblical. And so I'm not talking about that at all. But if we genuinely, seriously seek to walk out our faith, seek to commit ourselves to God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, what would happen? What would happen in our homes What would happen in our churches? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our communities, and our towns, and ultimately our country? I believe people would begin to get right with God and know Him as their Lord and Savior. I believe people would be set free from oppression. People would be given forgiveness. Lives would be changed. And the gospel would go forth. It says in verse 20 right here, So the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily. Do we want to make a difference in the world that we live in? Do we want to make a difference in this community around us? Do we want to make a difference in our family, with our coworkers? Lift His name up. First and foremost, recognize who He is, that He is worthy of praise, that He is high and lifted up. Become sensitized to sin, to your failures, to areas where you need to to work harder. You need to commit yourself more to the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. Because if we do that, Scripture says, the Word of the Lord will prevail mightily. As I close this morning, let me ask you, is the Lord calling you to salvation? Is the Lord calling you to increased service to Him? When He calls, what should our response be? Yes, Lord. Your servant hears. Your servant listens. Your servant will follow. I encourage you today to listen to His voice while you can still hear it. Let's coordinate an effort. Let's attack the darkness. Let's be serious about our work, our ministry, our teaching, because as we do that, we'll see advancement take place in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to come into Your house today and to study Your Word. Lord, I pray that this would not just be a, a sermon. It would not just simply be routine, routine, would not be something that goes in one ear and out the other, but it would be something that would make a difference in our lives. Let this Word be in us. For far too long, we've allowed the enemy to gain a foothold. We've allowed him to take territory from us. We've allowed him to to slowly gain ground. And as we see here in, in Acts chapter 19, Paul was not going to take it lying down. He had been attacked. He had been run out of town. Spiritual forces of wickedness were against him. And he said, I'm fighting back. If I have to work my fingers to the bone, I'm going to do it. I'm going to teach. I'm going to reason. I'm going to show people that I'm serious about ministry, that I'm serious about taking back what the enemy has gained. I'm fighting back. As he did that, he saw confusion. The darkness was divided. The, the, the evil side was beginning to fight against itself And when that happened, darkness began to retreat because the people began to fear the Lord. The believers began to, to sanctify, to be sanctified and set apart and be sensitized to their sins and their wrongdoings. And as that happened, others saw the difference that Christ was making, that the power of the Holy Spirit was giving, and they came to saving faith. Lord, that formula would still work today if we would apply it. And Lord, I pray that as we enter into this place, as we as Harvest Baptists seek to to worship You and live for You and minister as we gather here week after week, may this be a place where Your name is always reverenced, where Your name is extolled, as Scripture says, where we hold You in high esteem, where we worship You, where we praise You. Father, may this be a place where people's lives are changed. May this be a place where people become sensitized to their humanity, to who they are, to their nature, to the sin in their lives. And as they do that, as as we as believers see that taking place in our lives, and as we're sanctified, may others see that taking place in their lives. And may they come to a saving faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, may we not take it lying down. May we, may we fight back. Get serious about this ministry, this work that You have called us to. And just as Paul did, may we see doors open. May we be advancing further and further the work of the kingdom of God. As it said in verse 20, may the word of the Lord prevail mightily. We ask all of these things in the name of Your Son and our Savior. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And Amen.